for the rest of you, if you have your Bibles, could you turn uh, with me to Genesis chapter 12 to 50? Our reading today is not quite that long. In fact, why don't we jump instead? <clears throat> oh, well, we'll read in just a little bit. I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to do first. So, if uh, you've missed out what we're doing at the moment, we are doing a journey through the story bits of the Old Testament, the narrative, the, 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 the history, the interactions of God with His people through time. And, and we started at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Uh, when you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. And when you look at the Bible, you start with Genesis chapter 1, but it doesn't rhyme quite as well. Um, and it was absolutely, it, it's a brilliant place to start because the Bible wants us to know right at the get-go that this world was made to be good. God made everything good. And, and good means that it was good for us. God designed it so that it was perfect for us. And he set humans in place to be his, his representatives. We were there to, uh, to, to take God's nature and show it to the world. We were there to extend the garden into the rest of the world. Uh, it, it was wonderful. And then we looked in Genesis chapter 3 at humanity's fall when we said, actually we're not sure that God has our best in mind. We think God's holding out on us. We actually want to be better than what we are. We want to know good and evil the way that God is. And, and, and if you read from Genesis 4 onwards, you just see how things go from worse to worse to worse to worse. And then we looked at Genesis chapter 11 at the story of the Tower of Babel, and we argued over there that, that humanity was no longer saying we want to be like God, but they had so lost touch with who God is that they were thinking that God is like us, that he has needs, that we can manipulate him, that we can use him for our own ends, that we can, you know, use God to make us famous. This week, uh, we are going to fly through Genesis chapter 12 through 50, because this is, this is really a foundational part of the Bible. This is, this is the start of God's great rescue plan. Genesis um, 1 to 11 is saying, you know, this world was not meant to be a place of sin. It is. And then Genesis 12 comes and says, and God is doing something about it. It begins with God calling Abraham to follow him. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, let's just read uh, the bit that, that uh, Nigel has read uh, for us, Genesis chapter 12, it's quite close to the beginning of your Bibles. If you have a New Testament in front of you, you're probably not going to find it. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed because of you. And so Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. God's big rescue plan comes, I think, in two big stages. Stage one is 
letting people know who God is. Remember the problem at Babel is, is the big problem is people don't know God. We've lost touch with God. We, we're starting to make God in our image. And, and, and in order for God to, in order for us to want to be with God, we have to know who God is. In order for us to want to be with God, we have to know what sort of God he is. And, and so the first stage in God's rescue plan is to come and to say, this is who I am. And he chooses to do that, particularly through this one family, through Abraham. And he says, you know, through you all peoples will be blessed. And ultimately this is coming to Jesus who, who fully shows us who he is. Uh, at one point the disciple Philip says to Jesus, uh, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll be happy. And, and Jesus says, Philip, how long have you been with me now? Haven't you realized that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? So Jesus is the, the culmination of this first part of God's big rescue plan. If, you want to, if God wants us to want to be with him, we need to want him. And we need to know him. And then the second page of the rescue plan is, is to make a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be reconciled. And that, that's about God choosing to save us in the mess where we are. And, and we see a glimpse of this already in Abraham who's just, you know, uh, he's not a particularly wonderful bloke. And God chooses him and, and eventually again, no surprises, this ends up in the person of Jesus dying for us and rescuing us. This, this whole plan is heading towards Jesus. Genesis chapter 12 to 50 is, is the main focus on it, I think, is on that first step of getting to know God. Getting to know who God is, getting to know that He is reliable, getting to know that He is trustworthy, and it's a story of, of that, of, of people learning to trust God. Uh, if you read the, uh, the pastor's report at the back there, um, you, you'll see that I, I actually sat down this week and I did read through Genesis 12 through 50, and I actually took notes and summarized each section. And, and it's interesting to notice it's just people fail to trust God, they fail to trust God, they trust God, they trust God, they fail, they trust, they trust, they fail, they fail, they trust, they fail, they trust, they fail, they trust. You get the story. And the, the, the momentum is, is, is towards trusting God more and more and more. Because all through their failures and their trusting, God just stays faithful and God just keeps saying, I've made promises to you and I'm not backing down from that. In fact, I'm repeating them. Boy, you've messed up badly. Let's remind you of what I've promised I'm going to do. Or, you know what? You trust me. Let me remind you what I'm going to do. Um, depending on how you count them, God makes this promise or repeats this promise or, or makes other promises to people in Genesis something like 15 times in those few chapters. Genesis is the story of God's promise and people learning to trust Him. But today we are... Well, does anyone know any good people in Genesis 12 to 50? Any good stories that we can maybe zero in on? Any suggestions? The twins. Which twins? The redhead one. The redhead one. Esau and Jacob. That, that's a good story. Any other stories? Joseph and his multicolored dream coat. But as my eyes drew back the curtains. Oh no, it's bad, isn't it? <laughs> Abraham. There's, there's some big characters in there. And really, we could spend months 
going through Genesis 12 to 50. But actually, Val's on the money this morning because what we're going to do is we're going to dive right into the middle and we're going to look at the story of Jacob and a little bit of Esau, but Esau's secondary to our story today. Um, Jacob is the second-born son of Isaac and Rebekah. He is uh, Abraham's grandson. And uh, Genesis chapter 25, verse 26 tells us that when he was born, let's read this, uh, then the other twin was born, and this is Jacob, and he was with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. So you get these two twins born. First one is, is old Esau. The second one is Jacob, and he's just like, hey, oi, brother, you don't, I'm meant to be coming first. I'm meant to be the firstborn son in this family, if you don't mind. I'm not sure he was quite thinking to that level of sophistication at age zero. But, you know what, that, that kind of turns out to be his character in the rest of his life. He's always the bloke trying to get ahead. Trying to win out. Trying to, to, to be the one who gets what he wants. Uh, there's, there's a great story a little bit later, and, and I recommend reading chapters 25 to 33 uh, for the story of Jacob. But what happens at one point, they're, they're young men, and you know, Jacob's a bit of a homebody. He's, he's his mother's favorite. Esau's the macho man, and he's out hunting and whatnot, and, you know, dad's favorite kid. And Esau comes back from, from a, a trip out in the wilderness, and he's a little bit hungry, and his brother Jacob is there cooking up, so I think it's some red stew. And Esau goes to him and says, oh, man, I'm so hungry. Give me some of the stew. And Jacob says, yep, gladly. Let's talk price. And Esau says, man, I'm hungry. Let's not talk price. Let's give me some stew. And Jacob says, well, you know, no, I'm, I'm thinking. How about I have the, uh, the inheritance? I don't care. Just give me some stew. And so Esau with great wisdom, sells his inheritance as the firstborn child to his brother Jacob for a bit of stew. And even if that was the best stew ever, it's not a good bargain for Esau. Years later, as it looks like e. Isaac, um, their dad, is on his deathbed, he's blind pretty much, He decides, the dad decides, you know, it's, it's probably time that I pass on my blessing to the firstborn son. And he says, Esau, go and, you know, make me some of, some of the food I really like and, you know, come back and we'll, we'll do this thing. You will be blessed. And that's a big deal. It's kind of like passing on the, the mantle of the family onto this man and, and blessing him and asking God to look after him and Isaac's wife, Rebecca, hears about this and says, Oi, Jacob, quick, while he's gone, you know, go and get one of the animals. Uh, I'll, I'll make some food and, and um, we'll sort this thing. And I, Jacob's like, Man, Mom, there's, there's a big problem here because, you know, you, your son Esau, he's a hairy bloke. And his mom says, Yeah, I know. And they do this thing. They put the animal skins on him. And he must have been really hairy for animal skins to, to match it. Anyway, they put the animal skins on and and long story short, they trick Isaac into blessing Jacob instead of Esau. 
Don't you just love families like that who are so close and loving? It, man, it's like, it's like an Agatha Christie story. You're just waiting for someone to get upset and murder the other person. In fact, that's exactly what happens because Esau, Esau is so full of joy at being cheated out of his, uh, of his inheritance and of his blessing that he, he, he word soon gets around. He's got a good plan. He says, you know, dad's going to die soon and when we're finished grieving for him, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill my little so-and-so brother who's always out to get my stuff and that will be the end of him. And this, this, was not a, this, this was not one of those, you know, violent rages. It's, it's not somebody cutting you off on the freeway and you, you're getting angry for a flashing instant. This is, this is a cold anger. I am going to murder him. I'm not losing it. I'm just planning it out. And when the time is right, he will be dead. And I will be happy and life will be better without this twerp and so if you know that your brother's going to kill you there's really only one choice to do so his mum goes to his dad and says you know what I don't want I don't want my boy marrying one of these local girls because you know I want them I want him to go and marry a good girl and so they send him back to, to Abraham's ancestors, to, to Isaac's family, long, long way away, away. In theory, he's going to find a wife. In practice, he's running for his life. This is about Isaac, uh, not Isaac, this is about Jacob fleeing. Because of this, Esau hated Jacob. And he began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death, then I will kill my brother, Jacob. But look at what happens. Let's read together from Genesis chapter 28. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and he lay down to sleep. And as he slept, he dreamt of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway, and at the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Where have we heard that before? This is God making a promise again. What's more, says God, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. And then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, well, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And the next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against. He set it upright as a memorial pillar, and then he poured olive oil over it. 
He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although previously it was called Luz. And then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshipping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Jacob would have grown up knowing all about God's promises. God had made this promise to Abraham. He'd made the promise to Isaac. This is, this is the family history at work here. God is the one who is going to bless the whole world through this family. Jacob would have heard about it, I'm sure. But he wasn't one to just trust quickly. You notice what he says at the end there is, he's impressed by what's happened, but he says, you know what? God will be my God if he actually does what he says. If he proves himself, then I will follow God. Then I will trust God. That's quite telling the number of ifs in that last sentence. If he does this, and if he does that, and if he does that, then he will be my God. He has to prove himself. I'm not running on just a statement that has been made to me. And the next 20 years are, are very interesting and worth several sermons, um, not least of which is how not to marry four different ladies. And that gets all really messy and it's... it's oh. Jacob is an idiot in some ways. But he's clever. And God is looking after him. And long story short... Jacob ends, Jacob ends up really quite wealthy and his in-laws, his father-in-law, the father of two of his wives, his father-in-law's children are getting a little bit upset because, you know, this so-and-so has now married into the family and now he's taking all of our money and all of our wealth and all of our income and we are doing worse and he is doing better where have we heard this before? And it's at this point that God says to Jacob in Genesis chapter 31, go back to the promised land. Head back towards Esau. Things were getting hairy in Haran. But I also, I also wonder whether Jacob wasn't starting to trust God and starting to realize that you know, the only reason he was doing so well is because God was with him. Um, we don't have time to look at all the details there, but again, I, I recommend reading chapters 28 to 33 of Genesis this afternoon if, if you can. And so he runs away, he starts leaving, and his father-in-law chases after him, and, and God meets up with him, and the father-in-law says, man, I've got the power to harm you, old Jacob, but... God warned me off, so let's not go there. Let's read what happens next. Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to read this whole chapter. This is our main focus today. As Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him, and when Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, This is God's camp! So he named the place Mahanaim, which means two camps. And then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Eden. He told them, 
give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I have been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. If somebody wants you dead, you play nice. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household uh, along with his flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought, you know, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. And then Jacob prayed. Oh, God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Oh, Lord, you told me return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promised me I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. And now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please... Rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and my children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly. I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. Jacob stayed where he was for the night and then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He divided these animals into herds and assigned each to a different servant. And then he told his servants, go ahead of me with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. He gave these instructions to the group leading the first group, uh, to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, he will ask, Whose servants are you? Where are you going? Who owns these animals? You must reply, They belong to your servant Jacob, but they are a gift for his master Esau. Look, he's coming right behind us. And Jacob gave these instructions to the second and third herdsmen and to all who followed behind the herds. You must say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, Look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. Jacob thought, I will try and appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent the night in the camp. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant girls, uh, sorry, his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be called Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please, tell me your name, Jacob asked. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named that place 
Campanio, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Jacob was scared. His brother was coming with 400 men. And it's there for the first time in the story of Jacob that we hear of Jacob praying. When he was running away, the, you know, if God does this, if God does, I don't really, I'm not sure that's praying. I think that's just going, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I'm going to trust God. But it's here in chapter 32 for the first time that we're told of Jacob praying. And he's praying because, well, he doesn't, he doesn't have any other option. This is the man who could always figure out a way to come out on top, to beat the odds. And in verse 11 he says, quite simply, I can't save myself, I can't save my family. God, you made me some promises 20 years ago. I'm relying on you. That's wonderful. For the first time, Jacob is humbled before God. But you know the thing which happens, the very next verse pretty much, is Jacob turning around going, God, save me, I can't save myself. Actually, I've got a really good idea. Let's divide up the animals and send them along and we'll, 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 we'll try and win Esau's affection that way. He goes from, God save me, to I will pacify my brother. Is Jacob true to form? I think I can handle this. And that night this, this weird, weird wrestling match happens. Uh, can you imagine knowing that your brother is coming towards you with 400 men and all of a sudden as you're sitting there in the darkness all alone, somebody jumps onto you. I imagine it started with a scream. But this wasn't someone with a knife. This, this was just wrestling. This is a fight for dominance. This is a, a fight to see who is stronger. And Jacob... Uh, if I remember correctly, he is about 97 years old at this time, but he's not the kind of man to concede or submit. And they wrestle and they wrestle until daybreak. And, and the thing which gets me about this wrestling match is actually it's a bit of a joke. Because they're wrestling and they're wrestling and they're wrestling, but the man that is wrestling against Jacob was just playing with him. Because when he sees that he can't overpower Jacob physically, he just cripples him with a touch. He cripples him with a touch. Clearly, he could have overpowered Jacob at any point physically, but maybe this is more than just a physical wrestling match. Maybe the physical wrestling is trying to teach Jacob a bigger point. Jacob thought that he could hold his own. Jacob thought that he could wrestle his way out of any situation. And his opponent says to him, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And let, let's not imagine that Jacob is still the strong one, even though his hip is out of joint, and he's, ah, I'm still winning here. You know, have a look at what Hosea says. Hosea talks about, about what happens over here. Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, 
It says he wrestled with the angel, talking about Jacob, and won. Look at the next verse. He wept and he pleaded for a blessing from him. He wept and this wasn't Jacob the strong one going, Ah, I am the champion. This is Jacob going, Ah, please bless me. I need your blessing. The man asks Jacob his name and Jacob has to admit, My name is Jacob. And it sounds, we don't have anyone called Jacob here, do we? Because well, Jacob's, the very name means the one who comes behind or the overreacher. Jacob is an overreacher. He's always grasping for what he wanted and he gets it. He gets what he wants, but he always ends up losing. And here, this overreacher, this grasper is wrestling with the angel of God and it's a battle actually he cannot win. But look at what happens. He, this, 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 this angel has defeated him and basically you know, ended the match with a touch. If, 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 if you can end a match with a touch, he could have pushed him off in an instant. Look at what happens. He says, "Now nah, your name's no longer going to be Jacob. Your name is now going to be Israel because you have fought against men and against God and you have overcome. You have won. You've struggled against. How can, how can the angel say that Jacob has overcome? If you are watching a wrestling match, and I'm not a big watcher of wrestling or boxing matches, but, but if you have two people fighting and then at one point one person you know puts the other person basically so that they can't stand up anymore and they're just holding on to them going I'm not letting go and the other person's standing up I'm not a professional wrestling judge but I would give the points to the guy who's still standing up how can the angel say you have fought against men and against God and you have overcome you have won Jacob didn't win the wrestling match and the angel says, you have won. But maybe Jacob won because, because he was broken. Because his self-reliance was broken. Because he needed to know that, that his safety, his security wasn't down to his own craftiness, to his own cleverness. Jacob wins because he learns that God's blessing is a gift and not a prize for for being good enough, or clever enough, or for making your own way in the world. The name Israel, it, 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 it can mean he struggles with God, but you know, it can also mean God struggles. God had promised to bless Jacob when he fled from his brother in chapter 28. But Jacob got blessed because God struggled with him. Jacob got blessed because God broke Jacob. You know, so many of us live our lives convinced that we can handle whatever comes our way. Sometimes people will say, you know, I don't need God. Uh, you know, only weak people need God. He's a crutch for those who cannot stand on their own two feet. Sometimes we pay lip service to needing God. I can't do this on my own, God. And then we live as if we have to do it on our own. 
It's kind of what Jacob was doing. God, save me, I can't do this. I've got a really good idea to save myself, though. So, you know, well, take both options. Thanks. Sometimes we pay lip service to needing God. God, God wants us to... God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to know that He is reliable, that, that if He says that He is for us, then He is for us. If He says that no weapon formed against us can stand, then no weapon formed against us can stand. If He says that He is making us into the image of His Son, He is making us into the image of His Son. God wants us to know that He is trustworthy. And God will struggle with us until... He breaks our useless self-reliance. Until we come to the point of saying, God, all I can do is say, bless me. I can't force you, God. I can't win this fight. All I can do is say, I'm not letting go of you, God. Please bless me. Until we realize the way things are. God is God. I am not. I don't know if God has ever wrestled with you. I've never had God wrestle with me physically. But God does wrestle with us, doesn't he? Maybe a set of circumstances or a tragedy or a besetting trouble. It it could be so many things that God uses to wrestle us away from our self-reliance from our from our thought that actually we can do this without God we need to know that God is God and we are not I mean the, the very first sin the whole point of the fall is going actually we we don't need God Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 8 and 9 listen to what he says he says three different times I begged the Lord to take away the thorn in his flesh he says each time God said my grace is all you need my power works best in weakness so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me don't know why God was wrestling Paul but God was wrestling with Paul through the thorn in his flesh no matter what happens we are actually overcomers. In fact, Romans 8 verse 37 says that we are more than conquerors through Christ. And the reason we overcome is not because we are strong enough. The reason we overcome is because we have fallen at God's knees and have said, I can't. I can't, God. Bless me. I'm yours. That morning, Israel limped off to meet his brother. And you can read about the meeting in chapter 33, but suffice to say, it's meh. It's very anticlimactic. There's no sword fighting, there's no raised voices, there's just... Yeah. Do you need help? Okay, that's fine. And it wasn't because Jacob had been so clever about it. God's hand was over that situation. 
you know, Israel's life from that point on was not perfect. He, he repeated some of the mistakes of his own family. He made some of his own. But there was a difference in his life from that point on. And the difference was that he actually trusted God. He had come to that point of realizing God is bigger and better than I am. And I will follow him and he is the one who blesses me. I can't, I can't be responsible for my prosperity. I can't be responsible for my good fortune. I can't be responsible for my life. I'm going to trust God. You see chapter 33 verse 20. I think chapter 33 verse 20. You see kind of the end of this little incident in his life. He goes and he builds an altar and he calls the altar El Elohe Israel. Which if anyone speaks Hebrew, my accent is probably shocking. Basically he calls the altar God, the God of Israel. This is a man who's come from a point of going, you know, prove it God. I'm not going to trust you until you prove it. And God does so many amazing things and then God has to break him until he realizes actually God is the one who is looking after me. It's not about my strength. It's not about my power. It's about God who loves me. And that's the story of Genesis chapter 12 to 50. It's, you know, expanded out in different ways in different incidents and different people and the story of Joseph covers some of the same stuff in the story of Abraham and the Isaac but but it's about learning that God is the promise maker, that He is greater than we are, that we need Him, that He looks after us. It's a story of learning that God can be relied upon. I think, Reg, you were praying when we prayed earlier that each of us goes on that journey with God. And we do. We're all like Jacob in some ways where God has to say to us you know what if you trust me I'm going to look after you and every now and again God needs to come and say well you know what I'm going to have to I'm going to have to wrestle with you about this but you know what Jacob found out is what we can find out as well actually God is trustworthy if he says something he can be relied on to do it. And if we want to be safe, there is no safer place than in the arms of the God who loves us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us. Lord, you have made promises to us. You have said that if we put our trust in you, that you have forgiven us and that you are making us new. You have promised, Lord, that you will fill us with your spirit, that you that you will by your spirit transform us more and more into your son. You've promised God that you will um, be changing us on the inside so that we start desiring what you want. God, you have promised that one day you will be with us and we will be with you and we will be given a new nature. Lord, you have said that on that day when you come back, you will give us a new name, a name that, that you and we will know, Lord, a, a name that is precious to you about us. Lord, you have promised us a new name. And so often, Jesus, we need to learn again that you are worth trusting. 
Lord, we want to come to the point of Paul where he said, I know whom I have believed and I am certain that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted, my very self, until the day of Jesus' coming. Lord, if you need to wrestle with us, wrestle with us. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to be wise enough to surrender to you. Because we get to look back at all the people throughout history who have learned the lesson that you are trustworthy and that in you, not in ourselves, is our hope for life and a future. Holy Spirit, please impress this message on all of our lives, all of our hearts today, for the sake of Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Great is your faithfulness, O God our Father. Morning.